Hey guys, it's Matt. We have a brand new episode of Designers on the Mic. This time I was joined by Ryan Heilman and Dave Shaw, uh, the designers behind Brave Little Belgium, Lucky Little Luxembourg, and as well as their new title coming out from Holland's Field called White Eagle Defiant. I sat down with Ryan and Dave and immediately had a blast. These two have known each other for over 40 years, and... It sounds like after getting away from the hobby and and recircling back that they've just had a blast over the last 10 years or so playing war games. Uh, it was really interesting to sit down and talk to them and, and hear these guys are obviously very passionate about war games and board games as a whole. They're also, uh, especially Dave, read a ton. So it was, it was a lot of fun uh, just hearing about the things they enjoy. Uh, the things they remember from 40 years ago, just living less than a mile from Avalon Hill uh, way back in the day. So sit back and enjoy this one. This is Ryan Heilman and Dave Shaw. Ryan, Dave, thanks for joining me. Uh, thank you, Matt. No problem, Matt. Uh, so real quick, before we get going, I was on Twitter and I saw, Ryan, you you tweeted that the perfect song was an ecstasy song, but it wasn't an ecstasy song. I Is it ecstasy reckon- or... X T C. I think we want to get clarified on that. It's it's not a drug song. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> but I think everyone knows Dear God, and so I had to go look up your song. What's what's your deal with uh, what was the name of the song? All of a sudden. And that's your perfect song, huh? It's a fairly well written song by Andy Partridge. I mean, he is a god among songwriters for me. Um, I mean, Brian Wilson, Andy Partridge. You know, those are you know my gods when it comes to songwriting. Um, but it's a pretty perfect song, and it's on uh, English Settlement, uh, which was one of their middle albums, um, and the whole album's amazing. Um, but uh, that is, it's a depressing song. It's a song about divorce, if I remember correctly, um, but uh, it is an amazing, well-written song. I'll have to go back to it. Uh, I fired it up before we started, and then I was like, well, really, I want to go listen to like Dear God or something like that. And then I thought, yep. what's my perfect song? So then I had to go through. Yeah, I didn't recognize yours. What was your perfect song again? Oh, Music Evolution by Buckshot LaFunk. Okay. Oh, man. I'm going to have to That's go check a... that one as well. It's it's bluesy. It's jazzy. It's hip-hop. It's, it's everything. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. But we're not here to talk about hip-hop. We're here to talk about war games. Uh, I've got Dave Shaw and Ryan Heilman, Hello. the designers of Brave Little Belgium. Yep. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to Thank be you here. Thank you for having us. Yep. Of course. Uh, that's not all you guys have designed. You had a little um, print and play design come out last Christmas as well, right? Lucky, lucky <laughs> Little Luxembourg? Or yes. was it shortly after Christmas? Something like that. Yeah, it was sometime in 2020. Okay. Okay. Um, that, well, I, I, that's not the only thing we've designed. <laughs> I, I don't want to th- everyone to think it's Brave Little Belgium and lucky little luxembourg you know it's the only two things we've ever designed but uh, sorry that's what i can go out and acquire yeah uh yes you could print lucky little luxembourg and you can go acquire brave little belgium right now from uh hollandspiel but as of um a few weeks from now you should be able to get our next game which will be white eagle defiant also from uh hollandspiel so that's coming real soon tell me about uh white eagle defiant uh, White Eagle Defiant is the um, well, sort of sequel to uh, Brave Little Belgium in that um, it uses a lot of the same mechanics as Brave Little Belgium, but in a completely new war, this time World War II. And we're going to be dealing with Poland in uh, 1939. So the uh, German-Soviet invasion of Poland in 1939. 
same kind of concept, you know, David versus Goliath type uh, concept. You mm-hmm. know, can Poland withstand the attack from German and the Soviet Union during that period of time, last up to past what they historically were able to last to? Um, or can the Germans get through quicker and then Soviets get through quicker and defeat Poland in a quicker amount of time? Um, there is some more complexity that was in the um, Brave Little Belgium um, just because of the nature of that war. Um, so there's going to be some um, things like combined attacks and some special roles for things like uh, panzers and uh, other things. So if Brave Little Belgium was your first war game, the one that you you know played with your child, your, your 12-year-old, then this game would be the next war game. You know, a little bit more complexity to it. So, Dave, did you okay. want to add anything else to that? I was just going to add that, that, yeah, it was kind of interesting because when we did Brave Little Belgium, that came from an idea that I had years ago about doing a game on that subject. Um, and Ryan did a lot of research on it. And one of the things that I really hadn't realized, and I'm, I'm a World War One buff myself, not a lot of games had covered that particular uh, part of the campaign. Um, White Eagle Defiant is definitely more Ryan's uh, idea. He came up with the idea and the concept, and I have to admit that at first I was a bit skeptical about it because it's not been done, obviously, as much as, say, other battles in World War II. In fact, it probably is one of the lesser covered events. But I thought that it was a bit too one-sided to really make for a competitive game, but one of the really great things that we encountered as we playtested it was the fact that it actually turned out to be a very challenging game for both sides and um it's kind of interesting because i don't know that ryan and i really wanted to you know to kind of keep a theme going here obviously the the david versus goliath theme is pretty prevalent but it really does, uh, Way to Go Defiant really does have a very competitive uh, aspect to it. It was, it was a very pleasant surprise. Um, and I'm hoping that when people play it, uh, you know, they, they don't go in, well, they probably will go in with a preconceived notion like, well, you know, most people view the, the Polish invasion as kind of like a speed bump to uh, you know, the start of the war for Germany. But in fact, that, that really wasn't the case. There's a lot here that was uncertain at the time. Would Blitzkrieg really work? Could the Germans actually pull it off? And Poland was not a pushover either. The Poles definitely were, they were a very, uh, they were very aggressive in defending their homeland. So it was not, it was not, obviously it was not a protracted uh, struggle, but it was definitely a hard fought one. And I think that's what the game really shows is that you know, maybe history books don't pay enough attention to this campaign because, you know, everybody wants to jump to the, you know, the France campaign in 40 and then Barbaros in 41, but there's, there's some good material here and I'm really, I'm really happy with how it's come together and hopefully when people play it, it'll give them a new, uh, a new perspective on the Polish campaign. Good. I mean, that's, that's a nice thing that you can do about war games is you move those victory objectives to make it. I don't. I don't think anyone would make the claim that Poland could win. I mean, no. maybe they could. I don't know a whole lot about the topic, but by changing those victory point objectives, you can make it competitive and still tell an, an interesting story. 
Right. And I think, I think, and again, this is, you know, whether this is intentional or not, or just because this is the way we design and this is how it came across, uh, just like in Brave Little Belgium, it's not that the Belgians are going to defeat the German army and march into Berlin. You know, that's, that's obviously right. not going to happen. Um, but with that game, we were trying to say, okay, obviously Belgium probably wasn't going to defeat Germany, but the Belgians, just by putting up a stout defense, could really wreck the German timetable. And I think that's what's kind of end up being the same, um, the same thing we found with White Eagle Defiant. That, uh, yeah, the likelihood of Poland actually driving the Germans out and defeating the German army is probably pretty small. But on the other hand, again, because of the fact that you know this was the first time the Germans had attempted something like this, that any army really attempted something like this, you know, the Poles could, you know, the Polish player can definitely uh, change history by just putting up a stiffer defense and uh, maybe even, you know, really wrecking the German plans that, you know, it would actually have had a change uh, in the course of the war. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we're not trying to portray anything here that's ahistorical, but it is trying to show that, you know, okay, this may seem like a one-sided conflict, but there actually was, you know, there was a lot at stake uh, in this battle. So is this, are you sticking with the point to point uh, that you used in Brave, Brave Little Belgium as opposed to, you know, typical hexes? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And then yeah. one, one thing I particularly liked about Brave Little Belgium was that push your luck mechanic with the Germans. Is that somehow being re, redone in White Eagle Defiant? Yes, that's a good question. So in um, Brave Little Belgium we had the atrocity mechanism um, in which basically with the chip pull, there always is a possibility that you're eventually going to pull, uh, not pull the chips you need for that turn. Um, and that was particularly a problem for the, for the, um, for the Germans. I mean, they have to get through Belgium as quickly as possible so they get to France. And if they're not pulling the chips and they can't move, they can't defeat those uh, forts, et cetera, et cetera. So we added that atrocity mechanism in uh, whereby you can pull um, the chit after the end of the turn, but then you risk committing an atrocity. And if you commit too many of the atrocities, the game ends, the Germans lose. Um, and that, that mechanism was not originally there in the game. Um, mm. That mechanism evolved. Um, we, I knew in Brave Little Belgium that we wanted to have atrocities, but we couldn't figure out how to fit them in. Um, initially, they were very um, random. You pick an atrocity chit, you cause an atrocity, and then, you know, you lose the game. And that wasn't going to work out real well. And we also had the problem of, we also had the problem of um, the fact that uh, if you choose, if you don't get enough chits, you don't pull your chits, you can't continue on. Um, and that was really going to be one of the big issues in the game. And so I was trying to figure out how to blend or how to solve those two problems. How do we solve the problem of... Uh, people wanting to continue to move and not being able to move because they didn't pull one of the army's chits for that turn. And then how did we solve the problem with the atrocities? And late one night, I don't know why it always occurs to me in my sleep, <laughs> that mechanism came about whereby, you know, if you do not pull the chip, then you can continue on, but you're pushing your army and therefore you're possibly committing atrocities. Now, that got to be interesting with White Eagle Defiant because obviously there are atrocities in Poland in 39. And Dave and I thought, 
long and hard about that. Do we really want to deal with the Nazi atrocities in Poland in 1939? And we talked about it. We, we brainstormed about it. We thought, talked about different ideas and different ways that we could go with that. And frankly and honestly, all of them made us feel a bit uneasy. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously, you know, yeah, there's a world of difference between the German army of 1914 and, well, between the Germany of 1914 and Germany of 1939. And I think that's the beauty of one of the things with, Brian, with Brian's idea with the um, uh, extra chip pool was that you could actually play a game where if you really are, you know, absolutely as the German player don't want to even approach that, you just never you know, you elect not to do it. And hey, no atrocities happened. So it was, it was a nice, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, it was a, it was a more genteel way of introducing a historical factor into the game without making it overly burdensome or uncomfortable. But like mm-hmm. Ryan said, that's one thing, you know, for, for World War I in 1914, quite a bit of a difference uh, when you talk about sure. the beginning of World War II. So... So go ahead, Brian. So we talked about it, and and we just could not come up with a good way to do it. Um, But we came back to the issue that Dave mentioned earlier, which is that Blitzkrieg was not a perfective method by this point. Um, You know, this was a a trial run for the German army. And there was a possibility of of problems occurring. There was a possibility of mechanical problems, tactical problems, all sorts of different issues of that sort. So what we did this time was we took out atrocities and replaced it with what we call Blitzkrieg Breakdown. Mm. I was tempted to call it Blitzkrieg Bop, but I <laughs> Blitzkrieg Breakdown instead. And um, the concept there is that if you don't pull the chits you need for the Germans and the day ends, the end of the turn ends, then you have the possibility of pushing your army, but you might cause some sort of Blitzkrieg breakdown. And it's a little different than what we saw in the previous one, because there is some um, penalties to movement and penalties to attack. And if you do cause too many, well, the whole campaign just ends, Hmm. you know, Hitler's upset, whole campaign ends. He's moving on. Um, The idea being that, you know, if you can't pull off the Blitzkrieg in Poland, then Hitler being, you know, the German, High command would have to look at it as a failure, and that thereby changes the can- the course of the whole war. You know, if the Germans aren't going to employ blitzkrieg tactics, then we're talking an entirely different uh, type of war. So, yeah, that as Ryan said, we viewed that as well. That's basically a loss for the German player because again, mm-hmm. that's that's a major change in the way the historical pattern of the war progressed. Now, the, the likelihood of that happening is a lot slimmer than the atrocity issue yeah. in World War I. <laughs> okay. So we built that in as well. And hmm. the way that that's built into the game is that there is only um, two chits for the Germans to pull. Right. So the likelihood of them pulling both chits is more, it, it's more likely. And in addition, there is four end-of-turn chits representing four, four days of the campaign. Right. So it's yeah. less likely that over those four days that they're going to not pull the two uh, activation chits for the Germans. Um, and therefore, um, there's not going to be as many Blitzkrieg breakdowns and there's not going to be as many losses um, I think, by that method. And Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, I can only remember maybe once, maybe 
twice in all of our playtesting that we actually had a game end due to that. I can only remember once, and that was when we were playing my son. And he, yes, kept, for- he yes. kept forcing me to not pull the chit and then causing right. the blitz screen breakdown so that, right, he wanted yeah. to win that way. He wanted to, yes. So, yeah, I, it, to me, I think it's, it's Ryan's right. It's definitely not something that is, you know, going to be something that happens quite a bit. But which, it keeps the player honest. Right, right. Sure. And that's well, the sounds, part. sounds super interesting. I mean, I, I think it's cool that you guys have found a way to – take something that worked really well in brave little Belgium and adopt that and change it to fit with why you'd equal defiant with, with obviously avoiding topics that, and I'm not saying those topics shouldn't be addressed or covered, covered, but uncomfortable topics that uh, maybe don't have a place in the game. That's really cool. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate what you, that. What do you have, if anything, in, in the realm of recommended reading for white equal defiant? Like if I wanted to go brush up on my invasion of Poland history, does anything come to mind? Dave, why don't you start on that one? I I was going to say there is a book that has just recently come out. Unfortunately, I've not yet read it, but I recommend it because the author uh, has already written two really good books that I've read. uh, And again, I apologize to the author. I don't think I'm not sure if I'm getting his last name right. It's Robert. uh, I think it's Forsyk. F-O-R-S-C-Z-Y-K, I think is uh, how it's spelled. The book's called Case White, and it just came out about a year or two ago, and it's dedicated to the um, Polish campaign. Uh, I've read his two of his previous books. He did a book on the invasion of France uh, in 1940 called Case Red, and he also wrote a book called We March on England, which uh, dealt with Germany's uh, planning for a sea lion. So I think that, you know, that... I can recommend that because uh, this author has written two really good books prior. If you want a classic account of the Polish campaign, it's a bit old, but I would recommend uh, B.H. Littlehart's History of the Second World War. It came out in 1970, so obviously it's, uh, you know, good Lord, that's 50 years ago now. But um, as far as describing the actual events of the campaign and the battles, uh, it has a whole chapter devoted to the uh, Polish uh, campaign. And most World War II histories just kind of gloss over it, unfortunately. And I think that's kind of what Ryan and I were going back to earlier was saying that, you know, too many people, I think, just overlooked this as as not being important or too one-sided to really, you know, really matter. So... You know, and unfortunately, I think I think the dearth of of books out there. I mean, if you get any good World War II atlas, you know, they have you know they'll have maps of the Polish campaign, but it's hard to find dedicated you know materials uh, that are that just deal with the Polish campaign itself. Yeah, and I'm I'm a very visual person, so I do rely a lot on the maps. Mm-hmm. Um, I add the collection of the the West Point military series, um, various atlases that I use a lot. Um, the, the Osprey battle books, um, the one in Poland. Um, and then there was an army pamphlet written by, um, Robert M. Kennedy, um, called the German campaign of Poland that I did refer to a lot as well when, uh, designing the game. Maps are, are crucial. I'm a big fan of, especially with, um, I'm kind of going back to it, but I did a deep dive in Antietam a long time ago. And my biggest complaint of Stephen Sears' book was there wasn't enough maps, so I bought a <laughs> Civil War map collection. Just a. To... I, I was just going to say I I 
I know exactly what you're saying. In fact, I probably would. I joke I, that I'm a map snob. If I if I see a book and it looks interesting, but there are no maps in it, I'm probably less likely to get it. Uh, just because to me, maps are so crucial. Uh, you know, and I'm a mapaholic. I have tons of atlases here, as Ryan will tell you. Um, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying. In fact, I have the. I believe it's landscape run red. Is I think. Turned red, yep. Uh-huh. Turned red, yeah. And yeah, I, re- I do remember, I was like, huh, you know, this is kind of lightweight on the maps. So it yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that one. It's a shame too, because it's almost, if you go look, it's, it's pretty much the definitive, you probably find some others, but the definitive Maryland campaign and Antietam title, and it's, it's sure. one of the most well-regarded. And I finished it and got lost in the weeds a lot because he really zooms in. Uh, I want to back up a little bit before, so way before Brave Little Belgium and everything, you guys have known each other for 40 years, right? I, th- I think I read that. <laughs> yes. Actually, 42, if we really want to count. We we started first grade together, uh, St. Dominic's Elementary School in Baltimore, Maryland in 1978. And wow. so did you, did you play board of war games <laughs> growing up when you were younger? Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> well, no, because you... St. Dominic's, okay, is in, as he said, Baltimore, Maryland. It's in a neighborhood called Hamilton. And it's right on Hartford Road. And literally a mile down the road is Avalon Hill. Okay. Okay. So I have this memory, and Dave always corrects my memory about elementary schools because sometimes I'm wrong. But I have this memory of Avalon Hill donating games to our school, and there always being Avalon Hill games at our school that we play. And not all... Yeah, not always war games. A lot of times it was the family games. It was more but, family stuff, yeah. But we always had Avalon Hill games there. So yeah. we were always had the ability to play various types of games like that. And and one of the beauties of living in that area was that whenever Avalon Hill did a, uh, I guess they did a warehouse shakedown where they tried to get rid of excess stock, we would go, or at least I would go, and I'm sure Ryan did too, uh, you know, the old KB toy stores and Toys R Us and places like that, they would always have cheap Avalon Hill games that, you know, ah, good Lord, I remember one time, you know, I was able to pick up uh, like Luftwaffe, Guns of August, Bismarck, uh, like three or four other games, and they were all like $6 a piece. And that was even back in 1984, 85. So, you know, it was just, it was great living that close. And yet, you know, uh, it, it was just funny that for a long time, I didn't realize just how close they were. They were actually within walking distance of my house. Hmm. So, a little further from me, but still. Yeah, Ryan was a little further north. but um, And actually, I it, it was funny. I ended up working at Avalon Hill uh, in their graphic department uh, for actually it was oh, the really? last year of their existence. Yeah, I had uh, <laughs> I went to school for uh, for journalism and I actually worked at a newspaper, a small catholic weekly newspaper that came out saw an ad for avalon hill and i thought why not you know what it's you know i've played games for at this point it was like 96 97 you know i played games for about at least a dozen years or so and i actually got the job and i i did work there for a year and uh it was great it didn't pay anything but you know that was before uh before i was married before i had children so i could afford that kind of thing and you know, it was it was a wonderful experience. Unfortunately, and I was there when it was sold, so that was that was really heartbreaking. But it was it was fun. It was a lot of fun to 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 do that. But 
yeah, yeah, right. Ryan said it just was kind of odd that, you know, he and I virtually live next door, you know, within, within shouting distance of, uh, you know, one of the biggest game companies in, in the, uh, yes. And so we certainly did play, uh, lots of different games and I, I seem to remember, and I, I could be wrong on this, but I seem to remember playing a lot more, um, you know, mainstream popular games for a long time. And then really getting into the, 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 the war games and Avalon Hill games more from the, from the back door, because I remember being introduced to Dungeons and Dragons when I was about, I don't know, 11 or 12. And literally, you know, someone brought it into school, a guy named Shane Hoffman brought it into school and we were sitting <laughs> while everybody else was playing recess. We're just sitting yeah. there aghast looking at this game and wondering what the heck it was while he was showing it to us and, you know, trying to play a little campaign um, on yeah. the stairs um, of the convent at the school. And um, yeah. the, uh, I, I, after that, that seemed, that, that was kind of my back door then. And then getting more and more board games as well. War games, uh, Avalon Hill games, playing Gettysburg, playing Guns of August, playing other games like that, playing uh, the, um, Axis and Allies, of course. Yeah, I was just going to say Axis and Allies figured very prominently. Yeah. And then the funny thing is, is that Ryan and I actually, we went to different high schools, so we kind of lost touch with each other. And then uh, with the advent of Facebook, uh, I think we got back in touch in maybe like 2008 or 2009. And uh, which was really cool because, you know, it allowed me to get, back together, you know, Ryan hadn't moved out of the area. He, he's still in the Baltimore area. I live north of Baltimore. I'm just over the line in Pennsylvania, but it's less than a half an hour drive to his house. And, uh, you know, for good or for ill with Facebook, it, it, that was a great thing that I am really blessed that it got me back in touch with him and uh, with another good friend of ours, Fred Cook, and of course, a bunch of other people. But the three of us, we, we were the, you know, we hung out at uh, in, in elementary school and played a lot of games together. It's just been really fantastic, you know, getting those guys back into my life. So, you know, it's, and of course, you know, with the blessing now of having, you know, had two game designs and working on more something that, you know, I, I never thought I would actually do, but, uh, I give Ryan lots of credit because he's a very determined individual and, uh, it's funny the the idea for Brave Little Belgium. Uh, I I had that when my wife and I were in college. We visited friends who were staying actually at, uh, outside of Brussels for a year in college. We visited the we visited them for about two weeks, and I thought, man, what a great great game uh, you know this would be. And that was in 1993. And when do we when did the Brave Little Belgium come out? Was it 18? 19? 2019. 2019. So, and of course, you know, it was a couple of years of development. So it only took like 25 years, but you know, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan, you know, I gave that, I just kind of mentioned it off the cuff and Ryan just totally took it and ran. So, you know, I, I really do owe him a lot as far as taking that, that little vision I had and turning it into reality. So, so that was 2019, 2009 rolls around. You guys reestablished contact and Facebook and all that stuff. Was there, were you guys getting together between 2009 and 2019 or, or from the start of the development of Brave Little Belgium and like playing games regularly? Did you kind of come back to the war game hobby or was Brave Little <laughs> right. Belgium kind of your circle back? Well, no. well yeah. yeah. It's, uh, that's a funny story too, but go ahead, Ryan. You 
Yeah, um, I stopped playing games um, by the time I hit about 14, 15. I just thought it was the, it was uncool and there was no way I was going to get a girlfriend if I was playing, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and Guns of August. I think we all did that, so that's not... Yeah. Okay. So I got out of it for a real long time. And as you said, Facebook was my way back into it because I saw a um, picture of a friend of mine from school playing board games. And I texted him. I said, what is this? What are you doing? This is still popular. This is a thing. And he said, of course. And so he invited me to his weekly uh, board game group. And it, it, they play everything. They play Mare trash and they play euros and they play some war games and everything else and so that was originally how i got back into it um and then i reconnected with as i said with dave and with our friend fred cook around the same time um fred and dave were actually starting to play some games together um i remember they actually had gone up to lancaster to the uh, wbc uh one of those years and we hadn't yet started hanging out. And then my wife and I were visiting up in Lancaster as well, just for a weekend to get away. And I told um, Dave and Fred, I said, oh, I'll come up. I'll come up and say hello at the WBC. And so my wife and I drove up to Lancaster. And if you know that area, it's at the Lancaster host. And there's another hotel across the way, across the oh, highway. God, this is great. And uh, <laughs> we saw a big sign at the other hotel, not the Lancaster host, but the other hotel. Welcome, Ward Barrett Gaming convention whatever it was visitors and so my wife and oh there it is and so we went to that hotel and there was like you know three cars in the parking lot and i said yeah this makes sense this is probably where it is it's probably dave my friend fred and like six (laughs) other guys and so we walk in and i looked at the woman at the count i said where's where's the board gaming convention i said must be a little room somewhere around here you know there must be 20 guys back there somewhere and she said no no it's across the way and i went okay so we got back in the car and we go across the way. And I'm like, what are all these cars here for? Right. Just hundreds and hundreds of cars. It I said, was, this is a popular thing still. Right. And so we did finally run into them and talk to them a little bit and hung out with them a little bit. And they slowly but surely got me back into things. Um, I was really, as I said, playing more Euros and that sort and, of thing. And, that, and that's a funny story in itself, too, is that um, I think it was uh, – not long after they moved the WBC from Lancaster up to uh, or over to uh, Seven Seven Valleys. This was the first year. Yeah. So Ryan and I, I worked nights then. So Ryan and I got this idea that Ryan, he would, I would meet him at his house after work, and we'd drive up there. So we basically drove all night without any sleep and got there. God, I think it was like eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, I. I know both of us were, were dog-tired. We were just, I think at that point, walking zombies. But we wanted to play something, so we went to the open gaming area. And I don't even know how we decided on it, but you got to remember at this point, Ryan was still, like like he said, he was more Euro, you know, uh, non-wargaming type games. And I, he said, Let's, I want to play something simple. And there was a copy of Africa Core, Avalon Hill's original Africa Core, sitting there. And I said, well, here, this one's, you know, this this is pretty basic. I'm sorry. I don't know what is going on here, why I keep disappearing. So where did where did, where did did my – I think it's when uh, I get long-winded. Africa Corps. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, you, you picked up Africa Corps. So basically, we picked up Africa Corps, and even though we were, we were, you know, delirious and probably not even playing it right, Ryan, 
it, it sparked something in him that got him really back into the wargaming frame of mind, even the like Hex Encounter games. And it was just, it nice. was really fantastic to see because uh, he and I, prior to that, had been playing more stuff along the lines of like Twilight Struggle, um, you know, more, I guess you would call Euro-y type games. But it was not long after that, that that's when Ryan got the idea you know, to design Brave Little Belgium. So it was, it was, it was just an interesting evolution from, you know, how, how we got to that point. That's uh, too mem- cool. My memory says that it was even over one of those games that day. It, it very well may have been. I probably just told you about it. You know, in my mind, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, here's an idea I had. And, right. you know, I didn't realize that yeah, I planted because- a seed that would germinate, you know. Because by that point, I think I had already created my little card game called Space Race, and I hadn't really done yes. anything with it. Right. And we played Africa Core, and we played um, Leningrad, Leningrad. Yes. that day. And you started talking <laughs> about the Belgium idea, and I said, oh, well, let's just do this. Right. And I had no clue how that was going to happen, but I was <laughs> determined to make it happen somehow. So it did. Yeah, it did. That's That's super awesome that... Uh, you guys stuck with it, and uh, and and here we are. I love when I love a good story like that because my moment for wargaming, my brother and I had dabbled around with it, came after I played GMT's U.S. Civil War, and I just walked away like this was the most amazing. And to date, it's still my favorite all-time gaming experience of all time. So it's awesome that at some point it just clicked, and then uh, you're right back into it. That is an amazing game, um, and it. and and this is coming from you know we we played you know, the victory game, civil war. And sure. we played, yeah, the original one. We right. played for the people mm-hmm. and then we played, you know, the GMT U S civil war. And not only does it hold up to those three, but it, I think maybe superior to all those. And it was funny that we and I, that, that Ryan and I actually had another gaming convention that's down in Baltimore. It's more local. Uh, he and I actually set it up and I think we got like about a year into the game. Probably by the time Maybe. Had to leave. <laughs> um, yeah, but the fact it takes a while, and we also had a vassal game going, and we played that forever. And yeah, it, to me, that just speaks volumes that you know you have a game that's that consumes that much time, and you don't get tired of playing it. No. you just you do want to see it through to the end. You know, so. No, I've mentioned this before. We we played my brother and I, and we spent I don't know probably six or eight hours. It's like, well, do you want to put the pieces back and go again? <laughs> right, right. The union right. lost because they didn't capture enough. Um, yeah, war games are I, war games. Are good. I, I I think that's what ended up happening to Ryan. That's that's one of the tricky parts of that game is you oh, kind of have so. to keep to a schedule, you know. Oh but, yeah, but it's I also was, one of the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's also one of the I think you know brilliant things about it is that that doesn't allow you just to sit and kind of, you know, you, you got to keep moving as the union mm-hmm. player. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't do it. I couldn't get any points as the union player. He kept blocking <laughs> me right and left. Yeah, I play, I play as a better defender than I do as attacker. Ryan will tell you that. So <laughs> that's true. So I, that game was well crafted for me. I'm sorry, Matt, you were going to say, no, no, no. That's, I was going to, so let's circle back to just, um, some design stuff, um, your game specifically. So you guys have covered Belgium now. And I remember going back to, I think it was the players. A they, you know, Dave, you've said before that Belgium has always been this kind of, that was a topic that particularly interested you that the Belgians did more in world war one than anyone thought. 
Um, so what, what's still out there for you guys from a topic perspective that's still like a grail? Like, I want to design this some days. Or are there topics remaining? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, do you mean using the brave little Belgian system? Or no, no. Like if you had, if you had all the time in the world and you were going to design a game about one topic in any engagement, anything, is there anything that comes to mind? Oh yeah. Like what? I can, uh, um, well, there, there's actually a couple that we're working on. Oh, um, so, the, you know, I, and that we can talk about. Um, but then there's other things that I really would like to get into. Um, one thing that we've been, sort of working on here and there, and we haven't completed it to any great degree, um, is the what we currently call the Battles of the Chesapeake. And these are land battles of the War of 1812. Um, so that would include um, North Point. Um, that would include uh, the battle right outside of, um, of uh, Baltimore at um, Hampstead Hill. Um, that would include uh, Bladensburg and Crady Island. And we've developed... I've developed um, a map on that, on some counters for that, and working on just doing some play testing and that sort of thing on that sometime soon. So that's definitely one that we want to do just because of our locality. Sure. Um, I mean, you talk about maps and how great maps are uh, to look at, but nothing beats actually being able to walk the battlefields. And unfortunately, when it comes to War of 1812 battlefields, <laughs> at least in this area, there, there's not a lot left. Um, but still, I can go down to um, North Point in Baltimore. I can go to the place where the British landed. I can track that the uh, British walk all the way up um, to through through the Battle of North Point, then all the way up to where they were stopped by the Americans. Uh, really, and you, of course you have Fort McHenry, you know, which exactly, you know. So that uh, was really something. That's one of the ones that uh, we we are working on. Um, yeah, brave. We are taking the Brave Little Belgium system into a completely new area. Um, I don't know if this is Grail because this is a bit uh, science fiction-y. Um, but I actually created a science fiction game based on the Brave Little Belgian system. Okay, and nice. It's, it's, it's nearly done. Um, it's just in the process of being play tested by uh, Dave and by myself. And um, we're going to probably be submitting it pretty soon for um, consideration cool. by publishers. And, Basic and the, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and the funny thing is, is that this, yeah, I wouldn't call this a grill game, but this definitely scratches a niche for me because I was, I, I still am a huge uh, Godzilla disaster movie fan, and I also loved Gamma World. You know, Ryan was the Dungeons and Dragons guy. Mm -hmm. I had Gamma World, and you know, so this this game, and we don't have a title for it yet, so we're just kind of calling it. Uh, the last one standing, but it's that's not that's just the working title. It kind of scratches that itch of having like a, a it's a bit tongue in cheek, but it's actually a very you know it's it's got a lot of depth and uh, you know we're trying to finesse it, but um, it's it's more it's not historical based. Obviously, it's more science fiction, you know, fantasy. But I, I think the it it fits well with the uh, I guess you want to call it the brave little you know, model of, uh, of, of games. That's, that that's cool to hear because, so I get, I get into wargaming around 2015, right? What I think has been lacking in the last five years as a newcomer is some of these great early eighties fantasy and sci-fi games that I like hear about and go look up on BGG. And we really don't, I'm sure you could track them down, but there's no hex encounter. Uh, there's a few. 
like fantasy and sci-fi game there's some space stuff but that, that's cool i'd love to see more of the hobby pick up more of those old like fantasy games and stuff like that yeah yeah it's yeah it's a tough it, as far as hex encounter yeah you really it's very hard to find that kind of stuff right yeah, especially every, fantasy yeah, everything for fantasy and science fiction either goes to like some sort of uh um, dungeon crawl or um, mm-hmm. some sort of uh, big area control with huge miniatures or something like that. I mean, right. this is going to be point to point. Um, it's going to be Eastern United States um, post um, global warming. So basically much of the Eastern coast and is gone. Hmm. Um, they, the cities that remain are basically these huge uh, cities with giant levees around them. They're like big forts um giant walls think uh, i don't know if you saw the expanse but think new york at the expanse with the giant wall around it um and um after the global warming and the changing of the environment these uh, creatures which we call the swarm which are giant ants and giant spiders and giant worms come crawling out of the earth semi-intelligent and they basically destroy everything on the west coast and now they're heading towards the east coast and the Americans are able to build a giant uh, fusion wall to stop them <laughs> with these giant forts along it's, the Mississippi. It's the last and, stand on the Mississippi, yeah. Yeah, and so <laughs> the goal of the game is that the the swarm has to try to break through the fusion wall and try to stop the Americans from devising a um, biological um, attack, a biological weapon, and they're doing so at three different locations. They're doing so in Atlanta at the CDC, they're doing so at DC at the at the Pentagon or whatever, and then they're doing so tongue in cheek in New York at the SPI, which I think we call the Swarm <laughs> nice. Protection Institute. Swarm Protection Institute. Yep. Yeah. And nice. um, so the goal is they need to get through that fusion fence and destroy at least two out of three of those cities. And if they could do so before the Americans can devise the biological weapon, then they do. The- Win? The giant can of raid, yeah. Yes, and if not, <laughs> the Americans uh, win this battle, and they are thus the last one standing. Right. Um, we are thinking, maybe calling it. I don't even know if it's his tongue in cheek, but Twilight's last gleaming. I don't know if that's going to be an appropriate title or not. Yeah, we're, we're still talking about different. I I know there's a great title, and for some reason, it's just eluded me. I think it's going to be something like what Ryan was saying with his when he got the inspiration for the the atrocities uh, chip pull in um, Brave Little Belgium. It'll hit me like in the middle of the night, and I'll right. have to write it down, or else I'll never remember it. But I know there's like either a great, you know, I envision it somewhat like kind of like the old uh, '50s B movie posters, you know, where it's, yes. You know, yes, the old uh, you know them and the yeah. the giant mantis and all those mm-hmm. you know those types of movies, you know, it's that's why I said it's a bit tongue in cheek, but at the same time, I think that it's very fun and very playable. Um, uh, you know, that sounds complexity super wise, fun. complexity wise, it's somewhere between Brave Little Belgium and White Eagle Defiant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it, it has some militia people like in Bayville, Belgium, but it also has some special roles for for special attacks of the of the um, of the worms and of the um, tanks for the Americans and that sort of thing. And it has special event cards, um, drones, and uh, attack wasps. And, awesome. Um, there's one special <laughs> card that Dave likes a lot, which is. Uh, Holy moly, it's a roly poly. Yeah, yeah, the holy moly, it's a roly poly. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that was Ryan's, and it just I I gotta say it every time I pull it. You know, it just it's but it's it is. I think it it's a fun little game, and I think you know 
I think as long as you go into it with the right mindset, you know, obviously it's not historical, but you know, that's, that's okay. I think, you know, every so often you need to take a break from historical stuff just to kind of do something different, you know? Yeah. Historically, there is one game that I would like to make and it's not a battle, but I would like to make a co-op game on the great escape. Hmm. In which, and, and, and I have a reason for doing this. I mean, I kind of thought about it and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I want to do that. That's kind of an interesting topic. And the, the ending wasn't great. I mean, all these guys that escaped, they eventually were put to death. And we're talking, the, we're talking about the, the Steve McQueen great escape, right? Yes, yeah, that, that great escape. escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but historically, you know, I started reading the, the book on the great escape and the, the prisoners that were in the Stalag, they really saw what they were doing as a game. It's actually the one person describes it as a game in the book and that they were trying to not only try to escape, but try to thwart their captors, every effort to keep them there and anything that they were doing so that they would have to bring in more and more people to watch them, thus taking away people from the front. And, right. you know, so it would be a really fascinating game to do as a co-op. I don't, I wouldn't do it as a two player. I wouldn't do it as a, one person plays the German captors and one right, person right. plays the, you know, the, 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 um, the prisoners, but to have a game where you were the prisoners and you were trying to plan and your escape and actually either be successful or not at your escape would be a fascinating game to do. I, I'd Absolutely. be curious. I'd be fun. I think that would be fun. Cool idea. Yeah. I think you're right on too. like make it a co-op game. Yeah. That would be, uh, that'd be something. What about you, Dave? Do you have a, do you have a grail topic out there? Well, Here's the funny thing. So for me, and I think it's really cool that Ryan actually has an idea. I I, I don't know if you're familiar with this or not. Uh, it's a game that Compass just recently released. In fact, it's the last game that I've purchased in the last couple months. Um, it's by Brian Train. It's a quad game called Brief Border Wars. I okay. don't know if you've heard of it or not. Uh-uh. But basically what it is, it's four little mini games on really obscure conflicts that only lasted you know maybe you know a few days or you know not a long period of time um and that's the kind of thing that fascinates me and i've talked with ryan about different ideas um obviously belgium was the first you know thing that i thought of as you know a, a subject that had not been covered a lot in games prior uh you know in in the past um i've had a couple ideas of of, of just playing, creating little games that create, that are basically scenarios that you would initially think, you know, there's not really a game here, but it's like, oh, wait a minute, this is actually kind of fun. Um, some of the ideas I've come up with is uh, the German invasion of Denmark, which basically took, I think, I, I was joking with Ryan, uh, this was in 1940 when the Germans invaded Norway, they also took Denmark. I think the, the entire operation took like a couple of hours. And I was joking with Ryan, we can make a real-time game of the Germans actually going in, you know, because it's, it's, it, it lasted, you know, it was so brief that you need to actually play it. But um, there's, there's a lot of different little things that I would like to do that are brief, but maybe wouldn't make their own game, but kind of would make a quad, you know, like a, a packet of games. Like, sure. Uh, everybody knows in 1940 when the Germans invaded France, you know, the, the crossing at Sedan, Dunkirk, you know, but 
there also was the Italian invasion of France mm -hmm. that was just a complete farce. And yet, you know, nobody really even mentions it, partially because it was a farce, but also because it's just not you know, interesting. And yet, that's the kind of thing I look at. I'm like, well, uh, you know, something did happen there. How to make that interesting? Um, another example was uh, going back to World War One, and this was a little more problematic because of finding the source material, um, was dealing with um, Serbia and Romania and their participation in the war because they were small countries and they both, you know, eventually got swallowed up by the, the central powers. But again, it's that whole David versus Goliath kind of idea, you know, of a small nation in a big war trying to, trying to stay afloat and surviving against the odds. Um, another thing, and this is something that actually has interested me since I've moved up here to PA, uh, is the Gettysburg campaign. A lot of people, and, and I will be the first to admit I always felt this way, or thought this way, rather. Um, you think of Gettysburg, you think, oh, you know, Robert E. Lee and George, George Meade, you know, General Meade, met at Gettysburg, they fought there, and that was it. A lot of people don't realize that the Confederates actually almost made it to Harrisburg, and there was also uh, a Confederate uh, force that got as far east as the Susquehanna River and was trying to cross uh, the river. It's a small place called Wrightsville. And uh, a really fascinating story about that. And I, I've thought about, you know, trying to do something with that. Um, another idea, and I don't even think I've even run this by Ryan yet because I just read it a, a couple days ago in a, one of my history magazines that I subscribed to, uh, was in the 1917 prior to uh, the Russian Revolution, the Germans, uh, the German army landed um, an invasion force in the Baltic Sea on several islands that lie just off the coast of the Baltic states, uh, Lithuania and Estonia. And it's a fascinating little campaign, but nobody's ever heard of it. No, and, right. And, and, and exactly, and that's just the point. And I think that's what I kind of gear towards is that I like these little oddball, you know, very, you know, the things like uh, Lucky Little Luxembourg. It came about as a joke partially because in most games you play, Luxembourg is either a single hex or maybe if you're lucky it gets two hexes, but it always gets rolled through. And I always thought, you know, my dream would be to make a four-map, you know, Luxembourg <laughs> gets invaded game, you know, and all you do is just basically, you know, move from one end to the other. But obviously that wouldn't make a very fun game. But but that's kind of what I'm going for is that, you know, there's all these little parts of history that get overlooked because, you know, they're not as glamorous or they're just not as well known. And that's what I kind of like to focus on is, is and I think that's why I'm also kind of, um, and I know Ryan and I have just been, I, I'm going to stop right here and give a huge shout out to uh, Tom and Mary Russell at Hollenspiel. Because they've been, number one, they've been hugely supportive. And number two, they seem to enjoy these kind of oddball topics. And you can see sure. that from their catalog of games. I mean, they were willing to take a chance on Brave Little Belgium. And, uh, you know, we'll, I, I'll be eternally grateful for them uh, for doing that. Uh, but that's the kind of thing I'm interested in. It's like, you know, we've all played Barbarossa to death. We've all played D-Day mm -hmm. to death and Waterloo and Gettysburg and the Battle of the Bulge and, you know, things like that. I would like to see something 
on a subject I've not seen before. Because Absolutely. I think when you don't really know what happened or you haven't really heard, number one, you're going to learn something new. And number two, you don't go in with preconceived notions. You play the game and you're like, hey, you know, I can do what I, you know, what what you do is kind of you, you make your own story because you know so little about it. So, mm-hmm. so again, it's, I can't say that I have a particular game in mind, but that's kind of what I would like to do is just, you know, have some kind of group of battles, like, you know, battles you've never heard of, or, you know, <laughs> sure. something like that. So that would be, uh, you know, I think that would be my uh, ideal for game design. Very cool. I look forward to all of those um, from you too. Uh, let's let's change gears for a little bit. So I've got this little segment, and I've got the entirely original name called the Lightning Round. Uh, so what we'll do is, and these are just quick little answers. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time with them. Let's start with just so since there's two of you, we'll start with Dave, and then Ryan, you give your response, and we'll just move through this. Okay. List, okay? Mm-hmm. Sounds fair. Okay, uh, so let's start with what's your favorite military topic to play in a war game? Military topic, World War II. Okay. Um, I'm going to go with Civil War. Nice. Uh, Army or Navy? Army. Uh, I'm going to have to go with Navy only because I had, gosh, I can't count the number of great uncles in the Navy, and they probably would all kill me if I don't say Navy. <laughs> Although i got to stop right here and say... This man does not like naval rules in any Civil War game. Yeah, I'm not he a big naval passionately. <laughs> I passionately against. Not it. like river rules. <laughs> yeah, river rules. Thank yeah. you. I can deal with open sea. Yep. Put them on a river. Forget Put them it. On a river. Yeah. You know what? I gotta. I gotta be honest with you. So, if you may know, U.S. Civil War is my favorite game of all time, hands down. Um, I don't play with the advanced naval rules. I, I, I have, nope. I have months and I thought, yeah, this is fine, but this isn't for me. And, I, uh, and I've heard if, he's going away from it. So, I, Hey, yeah, if you yeah. like it, that's great, but it's just not our, not our cup of tea. Yep. And now I'll go take a look at for the people. River rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, best gaming experience. Ooh. Uh, well, I'm going to have to say that, that that time that I sat down with Ryan and we played Africa core, I think partially because of the fact that we were half asleep, but also because of just the joy of seeing Ryan enjoy that so much. It, that was really a lot of fun. I, I have a, more than I can probably count, but that was really, that's, that does stand out. It was, it was a very special moment. Um, I'm going to give you a serious one and a less serious one. Um, Dave and I played a, co- a game of um, For the People and Vassal. Um, and it lasted months and months and months for us to get through it because we were playing it via email. And it was one of the most fun experiences I've ever had with a game. I was playing the Confederates, and I was badly losing. Lee was pretty much almost dead. I had to do this massive run around to get the army just back to where he could even fight and eventually was able to go up and eventually take over Washington, and it was fabulous. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was but, definitely but I, a case of, of, of him getting uh, – or me rather rescuing defeat from the jaws of victory. So well played with Ryan. Yep. And my less serious answer to that is sometime in that same period of time at the WBC, when we were so exhausted, Dave and I sat down to play, uh, Martin Wallace's, uh, study in Emerald. (laughs) And, um, just watching Dave's face during that game as he just 
I had no clue what was going on and eventually fell asleep. I am, memorable I am, moment for me. I'm so ashamed because it's, I think that's the only time I've ever played a game and fallen asleep. Wow. And I'm, I'm still embarrassed about it. But I will, I, 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 my partially my defense is, is that that was that whole long drive and no sleep. So I blame that less than the uh, company. It was over. classic. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awful. <laughs> What's a game you've always wanted to play but you haven't yet? Ah, uh, War in Europe, SBI, all seven <laughs> maps, nine maps laid out, yeah. <laughs> and the time to actually play it from beginning to end. And the harness you need to move from one end of yes, the Yes, sir, the yep, the, the hovercraft, whatever I need to do, yep. <laughs> For me, uh, Dune, very easy. Nice. Uh, yeah, very good. I, I've never played Dune. Um, I was at a guy's house, and the guy was hosting a party, and they were all playing Dune, and he had to go run someplace. He said, take over my... Take over my uh, my game right now. I'm like, okay, and I'm playing the guy. I had no clue what was going on. And the next minute I know I got him eliminated from the game or something to that effect. So I want to sit down and actually play it for real. Have you acquired the, the reprint? I have the reprint. I do not have the original, but I do have the reprint. So I am ready. Me too. And uh, my, my good friend has the um, – well, before they came out with the reprint, they had the print and play mm-hmm. version with the same art. And he has that version, which is just gorgeous. And so I am ready to play. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's one I'd like to play someday. Uh, what's a game on your table right now? On my table right now? Oh, actually, this is awful. We're in the middle of a massive... Uh, <laughs> we're redoing our whole lower level. We, have a, we live in a split level. So I don't have a game on my uh, table at the moment. But I will tell you that the most recent game I did have was uh oh gosh is it red red dawn it's the solitaire game that was originally done by um by victory point games and then was reprinted in an issue of c3i it's darren levinoff's it's the stage uh stages of siege game mm, that deals okay. with the russian revolution oh, right, right. Right. I, i'm saying red dawn but i don't it's that's the movie no, it's, it's not it's it's, it's red dawn, soviet dawn thank you I played that, and it was oh, it was the best solitaire half hour, forty five minutes I've ever, I've ever had. It was fantastic. Can't yeah, recommend it highly. You didn't scream out Wolverines in the middle of it, did you? <laughs> no, no, it was it was more uh, you know more Lennon and Marx kind of stuff. So, I, but it was I it very siege game based around. They uh, are yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, there you go. You I, can make I, it the sequel to. I'm not a solo game. I'll play a game solitaire, but I don't like solo games most of the time. I'll say the States of Siege I have played is very enjoyable. So. Yeah, they are very well done. What about you, Ryan? Um, I have a couple of games on my table, if you if you don't mind me saying a couple. Um, Imperial Struggle. Um, right. I need to open it up. I need to look at it, but it's sitting up there waiting to look at. Um, I got the Tri-Pack on uh, the Men of Iron. Um, uh-huh. I got that up there sitting there. Um, I also got out and I actually did play it solo, which doesn't make any sense to play solo, but I wanted to see how it would play, which is the field of the cloth of gold. Uh, the new Tom Russell game. Um, I just pulled that out and I'm actually going to play that one. That's a quick little, you know, it's not a long game to play. And then also warriors of God. I have that on my table. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, let's see. Uh, Gettysburg or bulge. Oh, Gotta say Gettysburg just because I've actually been there. Although I have been in the Ardennes too when I went to Belgium years ago. But uh, of the two, Gettysburg always feels a little more competitive. Bulge is kind of 
it's fun for everybody in the beginning, but then after that, it kind of, you know, <laughs> Well you said. Know. I'm yeah. with Dave on this, Gettysburg. Yeah. Earliest, earliest war game memory. Huh. <sighs> well, I, my earliest war game memory is that I do remember uh, I developed an interest in uh, Axis and Allies, and my mom and dad got it for me for Christmas. I think it was when I was 12, so we're talking maybe 84, Christmas of 84. And uh, once I got into that, then I just started buying Avalon Hill games, and that's it all went downhill from there. <laughs> Earliest uh, war game memory for me would be um, Avalon Hill Gettysburg. Um, I remember playing it. I believe it was in my friend's basement, and I was playing as the Union. Oh, Shane? Shane. This is the game. I, yeah. I, I did not. <laughs> Another great story. One bit as regards how many people I killed in the process because I was going to win this game. And of course, I did win. And he got so mad at me. He's like, but but that's not historically accurate. You you wouldn't have just killed off all those men doing that. And I'm like, it's little counters on a piece of paper. <laughs> I, that's why it took me 30 years to get him back into Hex and Counter War games. <laughs> Uh, what's what's one of your hobbies outside of games? Uh, I am a passionate reader. I, as Ryan will tell you, if there's one thing I have more of than games, it's books. And uh, I just, I, my dream is uh, if I could have a a rocking chair, a Coke Zero, and just a book in my hand, and I'm, I'm set. Uh, I love reading. Reading Very is nice. my ultimate, you know. Man. I'm st I'm stuck. I'm I'm sitting in a, a room full of games, and you're asking me what's my other hobby? <laughs> Haven't I? I don't have any money left after I spend all this money on games to have any other hobby. I mean, what am I going to go do? Golf? Yeah, am I going right. to go sailing? I, I, I just right. You know, I, I've done all these things in the past, but I don't seem to have time for any of it. Uh, you know, I I find that I, well, I spend a lot of time with my son. Um, and we, we yes. you know, we go uh, swimming and things like that. And you know, Ryan is a spectacular stuff. father. Yes. But uh, I, I, just... I would say, though, Ryan is also we we uh, we have kind of a, a side thing we do where uh, we sell old games. Uh, we buy we buy collections. And I will tell you, Ryan is an Arab trader when it comes to negotiations. This man, he's amazing. I, his, his persistence and getting, he could, you know, I know it's an old joke and probably not even politically correct, but he could sell uh, air conditioners to Eskimos. He is the best when it comes to getting deals. Wheeling so. and dealing, huh? Uh, yes. Thought, and here I thought you were going to talk about my horseshoe. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I have a lucky horseshoe and it's stuck this someplace is, we won't talk about. This is the man. I seem to find stuff all the time. This is the man that walked into a Goodwill. And found what was it? Twi uh, not twi uh, it was the, the, the Berg game. Yeah, it was an old SBI Richard Berg Civil War Gettysburg game. He saw it sitting on a shelf, and what was it? Was like unpunched, like unpunched. it like it was dropped from a time machine from whatever 1975 mm -hmm. to last year. Ryan's walking through Goodwill, and not even looking, and he finds this incredible gem. Turns around and sells it, you know, for a very nice price. I walk into Goodwill and I'm lucky if I can find a you know a partially you know uh, played uh, Candyland. Right. So Ryan just has this incredible knack for f being at the right place at the right time for finding war games. Nice. 
That was, uh, was that Terrible Swift Sword? Terrible, thank you. That was a Terrible Swift Sword. Terrible Swift Sword. It was sitting next to the Depends. Yeah. The box of Depends and Terrible Swift Sword. Maybe they know know their audience. Yeah, I was just going to say, that was was good marketing. Yeah. Right. Uh, Do you listen to podcasts? Uh, I, unfortunately, I don't. I tend to be more of a reader than a listener, so I do read a lot of blogs, but I I'm not really a, a podcast listener, unfortunately. So, no offense. I hope you. No, no, none taken. <laughs> I, I, I will be now. That to him. yes, yeah, I do listen to him, and I, I have to admit, I started out by listening to more non-war game uh, podcasts. Sure, um, me too. Um, I, and of course, now I'm going to have trouble remembering the non ones. I mean, I think of like Dice Tower, mm-hmm. or I think of um, the Secret Cabal, or something like that. Um, then. There, there's yours. I listen to yours. I listen to um, Harold Buchanan's, which is really fabulous. Um, I listen to um, the Chance of War Gaming one. Oh, I'm sorry. I Chance got a phone call. Nope. I got a phone call. Did you hear that? Nope. Nope. Oh, Didn't hear okay. a thing. It, it, so. it started, you know, on my end. Um, sorry. <laughs> I, thought, I, got... I thought you were apologizing for mentioning Chance of Gaming, but I won't hold it against you. Well, I was going to say, doesn't, doesn't Richard join you in here too sometimes? Right. Now, so, uh, Richard Trapier is on Chance of Gaming, and Trichard Rapier is on uh, History on the Table. So. Oh, okay. It's two different people. Oh, okay. no, no, no. It is the same guy. Um, <laughs> I was right. going to say, I, I know he, he actually play-tested Brave Little Belgium. I didn't and, know that. And um, he Chance of Wargaming was, was actually very good to us because they he were one was. of the first big supporters. Of, he was a big booster. You know, he yeah. was a big boost, and he they mentioned it constantly on, on their on their podcast. I think they even gave away a copy they of did, the game. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, unfortunately, they spelled his name wrong in the game. So no good uh, I, don't know, I don't know that he'll ever for, forgive me. I think he ended up Richard Tripper or something. I but... Um, <laughs> Yes, I do listen to to those. It's um, like I, uh, Mike Wazowski when he when he's finally like, "Here it comes! I'm going to be on TV," and then the logo covers up his eye. I'm sure. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> yep. Experience when, uh, they perfect. they even made a copy of Brave Little Belgium with uh, his name on there as a as a co designer, I believe. <laughs> yeah, I want to put it past them. Uh, let's talk about books then. Uh, sci fi or fantasy? Oh, sci fi. Ever since I was a kid. Before I even uh, gamed, really. Yeah, I went through a transition. Mine was all fantasy because uh, I was a D&D guy up until, you know, later on. And then I switched to all sci-fi. So right. I mostly read sci-fi now. Uh, fiction or nonfiction? Mostly nonfiction because of my historical bent. But I try to squeeze in the occasional sci-fi or fantasy, whatever, uh, in there. But yeah, majority is nonfiction. Since I'm a teacher, and I, I, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure, I have to read a lot, um, I find that I gravitate to fiction when I'm reading because, you know, I'm always reading hmm. nonfiction for school. So if it's, if it's a pure enjoyment, I'm going to go to fiction. Okay. Favorite military topic to read about? Hmm. Hmm. I always enjoy reading about uh battles and and things and i guess this goes to my grail that i don't know uh, much about i just finished reading uh a book on the uh the crimean war by orlando Fijis, i think is his last name 
wonderful book because I had no idea what the topic, anything about the topic, and it's just it's great. You know, I mean, I love reading history when things I know about, but it's always a pleasure to learn something new. So, absolutely, uh, you know, battles that you know never don't get as much coverage. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I was going to answer World War One, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kind of going back to my background, which my, my background is actually in um, art history and archaeology, particularly um, that of the uh, Bronze Age Greece. So um, I that's a topic that always has fascinated me. And if I'm going to pick something militarily, I'm, you know, I'd love to read about you know, the Mycenaeans of that period or read about the Trojan War or something to that effect. Nice. Uh, what's book, what book is next to your bed or on your coffee table right now? Oh, let's see. I am currently reading. Oh, I reach over here. Uh, wait a minute. It's not next to my bed. It's in the living room. I am, <laughs> I'm reading a book one. It's called Deception Tactics of World War II. Hmm. It's actually a very interesting book uh, that talks about Deception Tactics of World War II. It's very, uh, very neat reading about it's all fronts so it's just different um like the the deception during the normandy invasion to keep the germans guessing uh pearl harbor attack and things like that uh and also goes into uh, a lot of depth about uh, how the russians used deception in world war ii very very fascinating topic i didn't know a lot about and the book next to my bed now i feel like a liar I said it's only science fiction for me, but the book next to my bed is uh, one of the books in the Witcher series. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least I it wasn't. It. At least it was family friendly. I was afraid you were going to say it was some other kind of book. So. No, those are on the other side of the bed. <laughs> the other side of the bed. The one. Uh, okay. Last great book that you read. Uh, the Ultimate Battle by Bill Sloan. Uh, which covered Okinawa. Um, just an amazing read. Uh, and I read it because of, uh, we just passed the 75th anniversary of the, of the uh, Okinawa campaign. Um, just amazing. What, what those guys went through, uh, I can't even begin to imagine. And it's a lot of first-person uh, you know, uh, recounts in the book of experiences that these you know, men went through. And it's just, it's, it's amazing stuff. It's amazing what human beings can do when, when they, they put themselves to it. And it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Nice. Oh, I am totally blanking on this one. I knew you would get me with one of these lightning questions and I would have just a horrible time coming up with the, 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 the last great book I've read. And you're a teacher. Um, well, see, there's a problem with being a teacher, though. And I know. You don't want to bring your home. Your... Grades so much <laughs> right. It's like bringing your work home. Right. You get tired I, of reading. I'm, I totally and, understand. And I, you know, I'm, I'm like struggling here. You know, I can think of a lot of great books that I've read over the years, you know, whether, because uh, I said I've, I've always been into science fiction. So, you know, I, I've loved like a lot of the Asimov books and, a lot of the Arthur C. Clarke books and things like that, but I'm just struggling trying to come up with the last great one. The last one. Yeah. Well, uh, let's see if this one throws you for a loop then. Uh, <laughs> what about the last bad book you read? <laughs> okay. Well, this is, you know, so occasionally I try to read, you know, get away from uh, history or at least, you know, like military history and such. I read a book on uh, 
because I'm also a big sports fan. I, I like baseball. I like football. So I read a book on, uh, and I don't even remember the name of it because it was so bad, but it was a book on the history of how sports teams got their names. And my God, it had so many errors in it that it was, oh. it, I, the, the worst part though was, is that when they got to the Baltimore Orioles, and of course, you know, big, big Baltimore Oriole fan here, they were saying that the Baltimore Oriole was extinct. <laughs> and, and I'm like, uh, well, I know they haven't been playing very well in the last couple of years. I probably wish they were extinct. But uh, it was just, it was awful. It was just a huge disappointment. And really, you know, I, 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 like I said, I went to school for journalism. I, I majored in, uh, or I concentrated in copy editing. It just, it shows what happens when you don't have somebody double check what you write. Sure. It just was a mess. So. And now you know why Dave and I make the perfect, uh, perfect gaming design team. You know, he can I, answer these questions about last great book and last, last, last you know, worst book. And I'm sitting here going, oh, see, oh. and 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 I might be dating myself here, Matt. So please forgive me if I am. But I like to say that I'm the um, the John Oates to Ryan's Daryl Hall. You know, Hall and Oates. You know, I I feel like you know. We that's how we work well as a team. You know, when Ryan Ryan's got this great big, you know, his great visions that are just absolutely awesome, and then I just you know go around and and try to help him pick, you know, fit everything together. So that's I think that's why we we do well together. I will, and yeah, say, I tend to I tend to run at the mouth as you probably have, can figure out. So no, no, Ryan no. <laughs> I will I will say that. Um, you know, when Game of Thrones was real big, I did try to pick up the books and read them. I wasn't very successful. I no, think I got midway know. through one of the first ones, and I was like, I, I just can't. <laughs> so, hey, that's all right. I'm not I, sure I've that's a bad book. I know, I know a lot of people love them, but, you know, it didn't do it for me, you know. Okay. Um, what's a book that you've read multiple times hmm. that you recommend? For me, it probably would be, and Ryan could probably guess this if he sat and thought about it long enough. It's one of the first books I read uh, as a child, and I still read it every so often, if not the whole book, then parts of it. H.G. Uh, Wells' War of the Worlds. Nice. Um, that I, I, you know, that was one of the first real science fiction books I read, and I'm a huge fan of of the 1953 movie, and I'll watch that anytime it comes on, and. Uh, you know, it's it's one of my go tos. So yeah, definitely. Very cool. Definitely. I have an answer for this. <laughs> Excellent. And it's not going to be sci fi, and it's not going to be fantasy. You ready for this? Let's hear it. I, I'm waiting to hear this one. Jack Kerouac Dharma Bums. I could read that oh. over and over. What's it called? Okay. Jack Kerouac, and the book is Dharma Bums. I could read that one over and over again. You know, I, I I would say on the road I could read on the road over and over again, but I I actually prefer Dharma bumps. <laughs> so now see, I learned um, something today. I, I knew you liked Jack Kerouac, but I didn't realize that book was the one you read. Yep, yep, that's the one that I do like a lot. Okay, I figured mine was pretty predictable. <laughs> yeah, that was a little predictable. I I knew you would know it. Yeah, that's a good book. Yeah, it is. What's What's the last thing you binged on Netflix or Amazon Prime or? any of those but Oof, i am not really a tv watcher but i will say my wife god bless her got me into uh this the show uh the crown 
okay. yeah. the Queen of England. And believe it or not, um, you know, and of course, war gamers, you know, probably would you know, roll their eyes at it. But I will say that, number one, the history and it, you know, maybe the history about the Queen herself is not, you know, 100 percent. But the, 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 the time period is done really well as they move through the series. And the, one of the best episodes of that show is uh, it takes place, I believe, in either the late 50s or early 60s when uh, the documents that uh, Edward, the king that advocated, sent to uh, Germany during World War II were revealed to the British public and the impact it had uh, on the royal family. Just an amazing, amazing episode. And I think you don't have to like British history. You don't have to like royal history. If you just like history, it was a great episode. So I, we've been watching that. That's, that's the show we've been watching. Wow. That feels very highbrow compared to what I'm watching. Right <laughs> well, yeah, that's... Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, my wife and I just binged Unsolved Mysteries, the remake. Well, wait a minute. Like, I actually, actually, I got to take a step back. My wife and I actually just finished watching uh, the entire run of The Office. Okay. So I, okay. I, I have to make a confession. The, the crown was before The Office, so that really is the last The one, truth so. comes out. And yeah, was that, was that the British or American? It was the American. Yeah, okay. gotcha. Um, my wife and I are watching Alias right now. Okay. So, nice. Oh, nice. Um, I had a huge and, crush on Jennifer Garner when I was younger. I, I understand. Ah, uh, who didn't? <laughs> um, so that's what we're actually watching right now. We're actually greatly enjoying that. Um, we do watch a lot of series, and we do um, tend to binge them, particularly in this uh, COVID nineteen sure. period of time. Um, we we. At one point, I said to my wife, I said, I hear this show, NCIS. People love this show. We should just watch it. And she's like, That is sleep. one of my wife's favorite shows. There's 18 seasons of it. Right. I There's said, a lot well, of it. We'll, we'll get through it. So we watched, yeah. uh, we binged that and watched all 18, whatever seasons of, of that there was. And absolutely loved it. And in fact, my wife just gave me a mug that says, um, Step back, or I'll Gibbs bitch. Slap you or something. Head slap you. That's what it was. I shouldn't use that word. Head yeah. Slap. Sorry. Matt will edit that out. Matt, no, 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 it's fine. I have the explicit tag. And and yeah. you know, the most amazing head thing, slap. The most amazing head thing slap. about NTIS to me is I think uh, Mark Harmon runs the whole time, right? Like he's in the show in some extent. Or I he he's the, I think one of the few characters, and it's hysterical because I always joke with my wife that prior to NCIS. The only thing I could remember him being was back in the 80s or early 90s, he did a TV movie where he played Ted Bundy. So I always associated him with Ted Bundy until he was in NCIS. And I'm like, well, at least now he's a little more reputable. <laughs> but yeah, he, he definitely makes makes the show, no, no question. Um, if you could meet any general or other military leader, anything like that, dead or alive, who would it be? Military leader. Um, gosh, that's a tough one. That one, I would have to say, uh, I, I guess it would come down to two people, and, and this is really just off the top of my head. I would love to talk to, uh, to Sherman, General Sherman. Mm -hmm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sounds like you're getting some lag from him. What about you, Ryan? 
Uh, military leader. So he went. He's going to go with Sherman, huh? So it's down the line. Um, Sherman. See if he's back yet. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I got. I, I kind of cut off. Yeah, I'm here. Do you hear me? You hear yep, me? Yep. You, we were. I'm with sorry. Sherman. It's. <laughs> yeah, I, I. It was. It's a tie between either General Sherman, just because you know he just seemed like such a fascinating guy, and Eisenhower. Uh, strictly because of the immense responsibility he had with running the uh, war in Europe, particularly D-Day. Um, that's, that's a good pick. Yeah, that, that that's a tough one. But those two would probably be the two I'd have to I'd have to level get down to. I'm gonna before you respond, Ryan, real quick. I I don't know if um, so. I actually really like Eisenhower, uh, being a Kansas boy, uh, going to his museum and library, all that stuff. I read a book fairly recently that kind of set out to kind of disprove that Eisenhower was just a shill for the military during his whole presidency. It was a, it was a pretty good Eisenhower biography. Is it, uh, gosh, I have, I know there's one oh. called age of Eisenhower. No, I, that I wasn't forget. it. But, um, I, I support the Eisenhower pick. I'll, I'll look it up while uh, Ryan gives his answer here. I respect him both as a president, as a general. Yeah. I, I tend to think that, you know, was he a, was he, you know, a great president? We could debate that, but I don't think he's as inept or you know as bland as people tend to make him out to be. I, I think there was more more substance there than what he's given credit for. Definitely. Ike's bluff. That's what it was called. Ike's bluff. Ike's bluff. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I will say that um, up at Gettysburg, you can go visit his house. And yes, the farm. House. I was fortunate enough to do that one one day. Um, it was a point at which we were, we actually got to. Um, choose our professional development at school. So I set up a trip to Gettysburg and to the Eisenhower farm. And um, I think that gave me even more appreciation for him. And that's why I think that's a, a really excellent choice. Um, I do remember they had, he had a book that at his front door uh, uh, door where he would sign in. Um, and it had, it was open to um, Montgomery signature. If I remember correctly. Mm. And it said something like Montgomery, the, the, the hero of El Alamein, or something to that effect. <laughs> of um, course it was. Yeah. Yes. And we just looked at it and we laughed and went, oh, of course. Um, but that's an excellent choice. And I'll, I'll give uh, the bookend for Sherman and St. Grant. Yeah. That, yep. Yeah. Uh, sure. Please sit me down with all three of those. Yeah. I like yep. all those picks. Um, okay. Alien or aliens? Hmm. Oh, alien. <laughs> Uh, now I'm going to say Aliens. Nice. <laughs> Just to be contrary. <laughs> no, that that movie Aliens had a profound effect on me. Um, saw it when I was a teenager. At that period of time, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I particularly wanted to direct and, and film science fiction films. And, I, I mean, just amazing gutter, gut reaction to it. I mean, I left that movie almost sick. <laughs> It was so intense. Cool. So, aliens. Nice. Uh, okay, let's say I was going to set up a new D and D campaign. What class do you pick? Uh, I always stick with. I, I I'm always a brute force kind of guy. I'll, I'll go with barbarian fighter. Nice. That type of yeah. Keep it simple. Just you know, smash. And, Smash. Yeah, Hulk Smash. My favorite character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, now, you, you asked that question, and I immediately go to the, 
is he talking about first edition? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan's going to give you a, yeah. He's, he's no, going to have I, some I questions played, for you. <laughs> I haven't played D&D since first edition, so I don't even know what's beyond, you know, fighter, thief, magic user, cleric, you know, those guys. So I'm going to go with whatever the magic guy is nowadays. <laughs> whether it's a magic user or wizard or whatever they call him now, I'm going with that. Very nice. Now you chaotic neutral or... Oh, I, I couldn't even deal with when they, you know, in the advance when they had Where you chaotic lean. neutral. I, 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 am I good? Am I not? You know, that was all I could deal with. <laughs> right. Basic right. D&D. That. that was my God back when I was 12. Yep. Very nice, gentlemen. It was a great pleasure. You can, you can breathe easy now. Uh, it. Uh, man, that was, that was a lot of fun. I got to tell you guys, and hearing you two go well, back and forth off each other uh, is a blast. So thank oh, you very thank much. You. I, I do apologize for the technical difficulties on my end. I have no idea what I was doing, but sorry about no, that. I will do my best to clean everything up um, in the edit. I mean, some stuff. I'm not sure what's going to happen on the dropped in. What what it's going to sound like? But if if for some reason it, it drops or something, I'll just put a note in the in the start and just yeah, just it. warn your audience ahead of time, right? <laughs> so, but good. no, thank you so much. We we really yeah. do appreciate this, and uh, you know, good luck to you, and I hope every everything goes well for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, good luck. I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to white Eagle to find that comes out in just a few weeks. He said, um, yeah, I, I need, yeah, definitely. I don't think it's going to be the end of the month. I think it's going to yeah. be in August sometime. Okay. Um, it would have been out prior to the WBC, if not for, um, COVID, for that sure. week. Right. Um, but Which everything got great, delayed but... because of that. I mean, their, their card printer, uh, there's no cards in our games, but there was cards in previous games that they were trying to release. Their There's card printer one. shut down for a while, and and then um, Blue Panther had to shut down because Steven had a loss in his family. So everything kind of got delayed a little bit. So I'm thinking the way it looks right now, I we are they're going to release the um, successor game to uh, Marcus Aurelius, I believe, sometime soon, and then I think our game is after that. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's real real soon by the end of the summer at the latest latest. Awesome. Forthcoming. Yes. Anything else uh, you guys want to stump for or promote before I let you go? Um, I don't think there's anything else to stump for. I mean, we're just busy, busy working on various things. And uh, hopefully, you know, at some point we can get some more stuff out there for you guys to, uh, yeah. to uh, partake. Although I will, I will go on record one more time and just saying that, uh, you know, Tom and Mary at Hollandspiel are fantastic people to work with. And, uh, it's been a pleasure, and that was actually one of the biggest disappointments about not going to the WBC this year. It really wasn't so much about missing out on playing games, but just hanging out with Tom, and uh, we were going to work the uh, Hollenspiel booth, actually. And, uh, you know, it's, it was kind of a shame that that didn't happen this year. Hopefully we get it next year, but, you know, um, we just have been very fortunate that, you know, for our first, uh, our first published design experience has been a very, very smooth one, so... They're doing great things over there at Hollandsfield. Yes, Hallensfield. yes, they are. They're very good people, and it's it's good to see good people, you know, do well. Yes, it. it I'm very reluctant <laughs> to design anything that would not fit within their basic yeah. model, because I want to keep producing things that they would publish. Right. And there's certain games that you know I know 
won't fit. And right. I go, oh, do I really want to work on that? You know, like I really want to finish up the the the, the science fiction version of Brave Little Belgium, the, the last one standing, because I know that that would fit within their model. Uh, right. But then there's other games out there that I just go, oh, I, where who, who am I going to get to publish it that, you know, I know would be as wonderful as they are? You know, and, if you change those ants to dinosaurs, I can almost guarantee uh, Yes, she's already asked for it. We, Mary's already asked right. for We've it. We've been broached. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Okay, gonna, enjoy the rest of your weekend. And uh, hopefully, maybe after uh, writing the client and your sci fi game, you can turn it back to this. That would be fantastic. Okay. Sounds great. Thank right. you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Have a good one. Bye bye.